Lord, you've done such an amazing job of creating this world around us. You've given us such amazing, amazing, amazing world. And yet, we look at the world and we find the things in this world that are more desirable to us than you. And we say today that we are sorry. We say today that it is wrong for us to put anything in your place. And we say today that our desire is to turn back to you. Our desire is to come back to you and to say that you are the greatest good. You are the best thing in the world. You deserve everything that we are and everything that we have. And we find our greatest joy when we put our greatest hope in you and recognize you as our greatest love. And so, Father, today, here in this place, we just say that if you've done that much goodness in a world that we can see, how much must you value us? And how good must you be? And so today, we just acknowledge that you are that good. You are that wonderful. And so here we are, and we worship you. And we say, God, would you be in charge of us this day? Would you be in charge of our lives? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Good morning, everybody. It looks like things are getting back to normal just a little bit on my way here today. I saw a whole bunch of cars driving on the road. It looks like everybody is eager for life to get back to normal. Well, in some ways, things still are not quite normal. I mean, the stores are opening up, but you're still supposed to wear a mask. Groups can start gathering again, but you're still supposed to maintain six feet distance from each other and limited size groups. But I wanted to take a few moments this morning before we get started to talk a little bit about how things are going to be changing around here. First of all, we are going to stay virtual for a few more weeks. I know if we got together here live and in person some Sunday morning, you would all be tempted to hug and I'd be tempted to hug you back. And guess what? I just don't think we should be a church that is encouraging temptation. Also, schools are still closed, and so Kidopolis is a weird thing for us to be doing. And the most important issue is that we don't want to be a church that divides people. We understand that there's going to be some people who are comfortable leaving their homes and coming out to a public gathering. There are other people who are uncomfortable with it. There are other people who shouldn't come out, but they might feel pressured to come out. And we would all be tempted to have just a little bit of judgment against all the people who are different from us. If you decide to stay home you might feel a little judgment against the people who decide to come out. And if you come out, you might feel a little judgment against the people who stay home. And listen, we want to be a church that isn't going to leave anyone behind. And so the way we do that is we stay united around this virtual experience. I want to encourage you to continue leveraging our social media platforms and the other things that we're doing to try to stay connected with other people. Now, we are going to move forward in a little bit. And when we start meeting again, we'll start doing doing small things. I'll encourage you to have watch parties in your house. You know, maybe invite one family over to join our Sunday morning stream. We're going to encourage our core groups to consider meeting again. Uh, depending on the different circumstances of those different groups, we understand that the leaders are the ones that need to make the call on that, but we'll encourage you to make some decisions and possibly start meeting together again, even if it's just for a backyard barbecue or something. We're also going to be doing some small gatherings around here. Instead of having a Zoom call for prayer, we might have a meeting here, and we might just have everybody sitting a far enough distance away from each other, but that we can be together for worship and prayer. The one thing, though, is we are not going to pretend that things are normal. We don't like to be inauthentic like that. Things aren't normal, so we're just going to embrace it. 
So there's a third announcement that I want to bring to you. And that is, in all things, we are going to be people of hopeful, sacrificial patience. That means we're going to hope towards God's future. We're going to experience sacrifice, limiting my own personal freedom for the sake of others. And we're going to be patient. God's greatest blessings are not served from a microwave. God's greatest blessings are worth the wait. So with those things said, let me give you just a few things that are are real announcements for the week. Number one, let me remind you to download our app. If you download our app, then that's the easiest way for you to stay connected with us. The links to all our social media platforms are in the app, and you'll also get notifications whenever we publish something to our website. Number two, I want to encourage you to follow up with us today, right after our worship experience. We're going to have a live Zoom and YouTube gathering for communion and prayer starting at 11.30. So the way it's going to work is we'll publish a Zoom link in the comments section here, and at 11.30 you can click that link and come through and join us in the Zoom chat, but we'll also live stream that to our YouTube channel, so if you don't want to get on Zoom, you can just watch it all from the YouTube channel. We'll spend about 15 minutes together in prayer and communion, so you might want to have some grape juice ready, some sort of cracker, unleavened bread, or something like that, so that you can participate with us. Also, we have a Kidopolis online lesson at 11.45, and finally, we have a brand new associate pastor. I'm announcing this day, as I also announced during the week, that we have hired Reggie Alderman to be our associate pastor. He's going to be on a part-time basis, and uh, I'll give you far more information about that, and there's also more information already on our website. So with all those things said, let's get on with today's experience. Good morning. It's the season finale of This Week Today. Recorded in the LCC Auditorium at 2301 Concord in the city that can't decide what season it is, Lafayette, Indiana. This week, we'll be hearing from special guest, Joe Hill, with music recorded by the Stay at Home Band. And now, here's your host, Jeff Michaels. Good morning and welcome to This Week Today. Today we're going to take a topic that all of us are going to face this week. We're going to address it today from an eternal perspective. And hopefully you will have something to hang on to for all week long so that you can put God first in your life for another seven days. Today our topic is going to be finding hope. I was going to talk about despair, but I kind of thought that might bring you all down. So we're going to talk about finding hope. So Before we get started, let me invite you to take this opportunity to open up your hearts, to receive what God has for you today, to prepare yourself to receive all that he has for you this week. And let's open up our hearts to him through some worship music as we get started. He took my sin and he bent. 
all of this for your glory. enjoyed that song. I love that last line where it says, all, all of this is for your glory. Everything in life ultimately is for God's glory, even the funny things. And so what I want to do today is I want to share with you some funny videos that I found this last week that I think are going to maybe not edify you, but at least put a smile on your face. Um, I've got a number of them this week because listen, I just think you need to see these things. So If you're ready, I'm ready. Here you go. She's a TikToker. You know, I've seen this done a couple of times on a couple of different videos, and I'm not quite sure this is real, and I just want to see what's up. 
Well, as many of you already know, she's about to find out it is indeed very, very real. Woo, indeed. You can feel the tension mounting. And as the great Tony Romo would say, here we go, Jim. Grandma Sandy, legend. She's about to find out it is indeed very, very real. Woo, indeed. You can feel the tension. You know, I've seen that clip so many times, and every time I just think it's hilarious. And my favorite part is that woo, indeed line, because it's the anticipation that makes that so funny. Anticipation. You know, anticipation is an awful lot like hope. I want to take you to a passage in Psalm 33. I bet you never thought you'd go to Psalm 33 after hearing Morgan Freeman's voice. Uh, Incidentally, that was Frank Caliendo, not Morgan Freeman. But Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. The end of that psalm is brilliant. We wait in hope for the Lord. And then the plea, Lord, may your unfailing love be with us, even as we put our hope in you. Today we're going to be talking about hope, finding our hope, and putting our hope in God. And so right now, we're going to turn to an interview that I had this last week with Joe Hill. And, you know, this is one of those times when We're thinking about the need for hope, and Joe has definitely been through a time like that before. So I wanted you to hear just a little bit of his story. So Joe, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, Have you ever lost your hope? Honestly, no. Um, Are you sure? Yeah, um, I've thought about this before. It's coming come up in conversations with friends and church members and stuff like that, or like at group meetings. And um, I've just never like associated bad things happening in my life with God's will for me. It's always been separated. So you, you've never had, I mean, you guys have been through, you and Megan have been through a lot of tough times and you've had a lot of challenges, financial challenges, medical challenges, uh, child rearing challenges in all of that raising cats challenges you got one behind your head you in all of that you've never felt your hope waver no because whenever i i feel like i've tried to look back on this and try to figure out when this sort of started but faith as um a feeling or a part of my life has never been hard for me i've never um had like i've never felt like I've had a reason to lose faith in what God was doing in my life. Um, I've, Megan got sick or when um, Eloise, we found out wasn't all like all the the other children. Uh, It never really, I never really went to blame God or to blame this, that, or the other. It was just, this is what's been presented to me and God wants me to to grow through this and work through it. And so I've never really, me and Mac have a saying, it's never for, it's never to you, it's for you. 
And if you can look at life in that aspect and that, in that way, um, you never really blame God for anything because anytime you've looked back on bad things in your life, you can see good that's come from them. So then I guess maybe I need to go backwards just a little bit. It sounds to me like you've got a hope that's really strong. Um, when you hear the word hope, what does, what does that word mean to you? What, what is your hope? My hope um, changed when I gave my life to Christ. I didn't really have a hope before. I was just sort of skating through life and just didn't really care about anything else happening. Um, but once I realized that God, the great maker that he is, actually cared about me, my hope became into him. And all the little things that happen in this world, they don't affect me when it comes to my relationship with God. because. I mean, you read Genesis, and he breathed the entire universe that we could ever possibly imagine, basically as like an afterthought, a second. It's just something he did. And for me to try to blame a sickness that my wife was going through, which if you talk to her, it was one of the best blessings in her life, or blame um, how my child is, which anyone who's met Eloise knows that she is the brightest ray of sunshine in the world. It's if you look for life to be disappointing you and trying to break you down, you will find it because it's a perspective thing. But if you look at it as either a challenge that you can grow from or something that maybe can be used to bless someone else, then it, that kind of stuff doesn't waver. God, in my opinion, is larger than my little mortal brain could ever possibly imagine. And for me to try to blame small things on that, on him or his plan is for me has always seemed ludicrous. <laughs> totally get it. Uh, you said something interesting. You said that when you use the phrase hope, you did not say that you're hoping for something. You didn't say that your hope was something you were hoping for. Instead, you said hope in. What is the difference there for you? Um, difference between hoping in something and hoping for something. For me, hoping for is almost, it's a very small thing. It's like, I hope there will be sunshine this next weekend to have a nice weekend or something like that. Um, having your hope in something is something that you've decided that when it comes to hope, it, I want to put it somewhere that's unshakable, that can't be changed. The weather can change circumstances can change jobs can change i mean we're living in a very changed world but um i've decided to put my hope in the one thing that's unchangeable has not changed forever since he created time that we see it um when you have your hope in something like that it can't waver it can't do anything but just be there and waiting for you that's excellent it sounds to me like you have a really solid hope and that your hope is strongly in God. And that's an encouragement to me, and that's an encouragement, I'm sure, to everybody else who hears this. It's, I think that as far as I can tell, God blessed me with a faith. Um, my faith isn't going anywhere. It's rooted. I have bad days, but my faith doesn't change. Well, Joe, I wanna thank you so much for sharing just a little bit with the people. And um, I, I just really appreciate you, your whole family, and your outlook 
on things and the strength of your faith. So keep it going, keep it strong. And um, I'm sure you and I will be talking again pretty soon. Yeah.
bless you kindly. We meet here again. Cause all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? Oh, I'm not. I'm Not for a minute have we been forsaken. The Lord is in this place. You know, that song isn't just talking about the Lord being in this physical facility. The Lord isn't just in any particular location or time. He's everywhere. And so when you hear the words, where you are right now, the Lord is in this place. It's true for where you are, whenever you are, wherever you are. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we recognize that you are here now with us. You are always with us. And the only time you are not with us is when we have walked away from you. But even then we can't escape from your presence. You are always pursuing us. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help us to be even more aware of your presence in our lives. That you would speak into our hearts as we open up your word. Father, I ask that you would strengthen us all to get a perspective on what it means to put our hope fully in you. And I ask that you would guard the words that I speak and the thoughts in our hearts so that everything that happens here would bring you honor and glory. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our main topic today is finding hope. As I told you earlier, I was thinking about calling today's main topic despair. But then I thought, who on YouTube is ever going to click on that link? So we needed to change the title to Finding Hope. 
Now, I'm going to start with a, just a little bit of a story. Some of you know my story, but I grew up in the home of a pastor. I grew up going to church every single day because my school was at the church. And so I spent all kinds of time. I spent more time at the church facility than I spent at my own house many, many weeks. And growing up in a church environment, growing up in a pastor's family, I always had this sense that other people had a relationship with God that was different from my own. I always kind of felt a little bit guilty that other people seemed to have a closer walk with God than I did. I always felt that God and my relationship with him didn't seem to match what other people had. And then I found Psalm 42. And when I found Psalm 42, it was like all of a sudden I understood there was someone else who understood me. There was someone else who got where I was coming from. I want to read Psalm 42 to you and talk just a little bit about it. But as we do, I want to let you know this psalm is important to me because it expresses the condition of my own heart, particularly when I started to truly find God. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are actually one psalm. In the Hebrew text, there's no division between the two of them, and I I think you'll find out why as we go through it. It starts this way. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Uh, Listen, the way this psalm begins is it's a lament. It's a psalm of a guy who used to have a close relationship with God and now for some reason doesn't. We don't know why his relationship with God has been broken. We don't know why his experience of his relationship with God has been broken. All we know is that he used to have it and now he doesn't. He says, I long for God. I thirst for God. I have this desire to have a relationship with God. But it's not there. And people are taunting him. Where is this God of which you speak? See, other people around him know that he's feeling this distance from God. And so they are taunting him about it. And he says, I remember I used to go to the house of God. I used to be among the people with shouts of joy. You might be in that place right now. Or you're wondering, my relationship with God used to be something great, and now it's not. I used to go with joy to the house of God. Maybe for you, it's I used to go with joy with all these people to church. And here's this guy expressing the exact same problem. He hasn't been able to go joyfully to the temple in quite some time. And we don't know exactly why. We just know something's wrong. Then verse 5, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And this is a phrase that is used in Christian circles a lot. Why so downcast, O my soul? It's made it its way into songs. And it's this idea of, soul, you don't deserve to be downcast. God is worthy of praise. You should put your hope in Him. You should put your praise in Him. But guess what? That doesn't always work. Look at the very next verse. He says, my soul is downcast within me. 
He just said, soul, go ahead and put your hope in God. Praise him anyway. And then the next verse, but I'm still downcast. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the, by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And now we realize what's going on. He feels like God has forgotten him. He feels like he is now in a place of mourning. He feels like God has given up on him. That's the feeling of no more hope. That's the feeling of having lost your hope. It's a feeling of longing despair. But keep going. Verse 11, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I'm going to keep going through 43 because it's the same psalm in the Hebrew text. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faith. Faithful care, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. He means, God, if you save me, then I'll get to go back to the temple and praise you. And he ends, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I don't know about you, but to me, this sounds like the psalm hasn't worked yet. It sounds to me like three different times during this psalm, he cries out to God and he says, God, I'm reaching out to you, but I feel like you've forgotten me. And then he says to his soul, why are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him. He's trying to convince himself to put his hope in God. He's trying to convince himself to praise God, but it's just not working. He's trying to convince himself to put his hope in God, but it's not changing the way he feels. You see, this is a psalm about a guy in despair. This is a psalm about a person who has lost his hope. He's trying to convince himself to put his hope in God. Now, here's the problem. Despair is the right word. It's just a word we don't like. We don't want to use the word despair for ourselves. We hesitate to use the word despair for this guy. Instead, we use other words. We use words like sad or disappointed or frustrated or even depressed. But we don't like to use words like despair because despair feels like it's too far down the path, even though it's the right word. See, despair is a symptom of a sickness. The sickness is lost hope. And despair is what it really means to have a lost hope. You know, I think 
it's time for us to rediscover hope, to find our hope again. Maybe you're in the place right now where you're feeling a little bit of hope. The restrictions are being lifted. Yay! But you're still supposed to wear a mask. Oh. And churches are going to start meeting again. Yay! But everything is still weird and you're going to have to sit six feet away from each other and you're not going to be allowed to hug anyone and you're going to have to keep your kids with you or something along those lines. Whoa! And the hospitals aren't overwhelmed with patients. Yay! But people are still dying. Ah! I don't know where you are right now, but I'm imagining some of you are feeling hope and some of you are feeling not so much hope. So let's Let's improve our diagnostic testing around here just a little bit. Let's give everybody, not a coronavirus test, let's give everybody a hope test. I'm going to invite you to test yourself, examine yourself today with three symptoms of a lost hope. And the first symptom of a lost hope is impatience. (laughs) We're starting right off with a big one, didn't we? Okay, so impatience is a sign of a lost hope. I want to take you back to the psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 33, verse 20 and 21. It said, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Waiting and hoping are intrinsically linked You know, when I go to the doctor's office, they've got this area in front of the doctor's office called a waiting room. And when I go to the doctor's office, and it's true for every single doctor's office, sometimes it's the dentist, sometimes it's a specialist, sometimes it's even the emergency room. I've been there before. There's a waiting room in front of even the emergency room. So anyway, you go to the doctor's office and there is a waiting room. My standard practice when I go to the doctor's office of any kind is to first go straight up to the desk. And I meet with some receptionist at the desk and I tell them I'm there. Then they say, okay, you may have a seat. And then I go sit in the waiting room. And I'm happy to sit in the waiting room. I mean, I'm not happy to sit in the waiting room, but I'm happy to sit in the waiting room because I know that the doctor is eventually going to come out. Maybe not the doctor, but the nurse or someone else is going to come out that little door and they're going to say, Jeff Michaels, and I'm going to perk up because someone's said my name and I'm going to go back there. But I tell you what I never do. I never go into a doctor's office and just sit down in the waiting room and wait for my name. I never do that. 100% of the time I go up to the desk and tell them I'm there. And do you know why? It's because waiting is a lot easier when you have hope And if I just show up and sit down in the waiting area, no one's going to call my name. They don't even know I'm there. But if they know I'm there, then I have hope and then I can wait. You see, the truth is the stronger your hope is, the longer your patience can be. Are you feeling impatient? If you don't feel patience right now, the solution is to find some hope. What is it that you are hoping in? Are you hoping in life getting back to normal? Or are you hoping that there's a God who can show up? One of those can build patience. The other one won't. The second symptom of a lost hope, the second symptom of despair is extreme pessimism. Yeah, this is a symptom, but in fact, it's also a coping mechanism. You see, what we do when we don't have hope is we take the approach, 
that my wife took before we were married. You see, uh, Jen is kind of a pessimist sometimes, but she was definitely a pessimist when it came to our relationship before we were married. She tells me this story all the time, reminds me of this story, reminds my children of this story, and reminds other people of this story too. One Sunday after church, we were driving back to campus. This was before we were married, before we were engaged. We were driving back to campus. And on our way back, I just had this burden in my soul that I needed to talk to her about something. So I pulled the car off to the side of the road in this little neighborhood where we were. I pulled it off to the side. I stopped the car and I said, okay, so if we get married, when should we do it? And I was thinking the answer should be uh, after you graduate or after I graduate, because our, our schedules weren't in synchronization with regard to our graduation. And so I thought it might be, well, let's get married this summer, or let's get married next summer, or something along those lines. But instead, she froze, freaked out, and tells the story to me now and to everybody who will listen later on that she thought I was upset with her, I was mad at her that she was pressuring me into getting married, and she thought I was about ready to break up with her right then and there. I just wanted to know when she wanted to get married, but she thought I was breaking up with her. I'll give you a second story. Once, when we were on a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean at sunset, I uh, pulled out my guitar, I got down on one knee, And I started singing a song to her. And she said literally to me later that night and has said to many people many times since that at that moment she saw a couple out of the corner of her eye walking along this cliff area overlooking the Pacific Ocean just like we were. And she consciously thought to herself, Jeff better stop this or those people are going to think we're getting married. Little did she know I was actually proposing to her at that very moment. Listen, sometimes we get ourselves in such a place of pessimism that we don't allow ourselves to see the good things that are happening right around us. One of my favorite family movies is What About Bob? And one of the best scenes in the movie is when he is meeting his new psychologist for the first time and he fakes a heart attack. And the psychologist asks him, Bob, why are you doing that? And he gives this famous line. He says, well, if I can fake it, I don't have it. Listen, this is what we do with our pessimism. When you have lost hope, sometimes what you will do is you will turn to imagining the worst possible situation that you can imagine. Because if you imagine the worst possible situation, the chances are very high that it won't happen and you will be pleasantly surprised. Your own pessimism, this relationship can't be working well. Your own pessimism, my health must be going down the tubes. Your own pessimism, if you can keep your pessimism lower than reality, then you will always be pleasantly surprised. But the truth is, without a solid hope, pessimism is what you need to cope. Without a solid hope, Pessimism might help you cope. These days, maybe you're feeling some pessimism. You're thinking, when is life ever going to get better? It's never going to get better. We're never going to go back to normal. We'll never get to go back to church. I'm always going to be worried about this kind of stuff. I don't know about you and your pessimism, but I know it's a symptom held by those people who have lost their hope. 
There's a third symptom for your diagnostic testing. And the third symptom is what I'm calling ignorant optimism. Now, let's just be real for a moment. I should have called this denial. But see, I have a problem with the word denial. I can't really talk to people about denial. For some reason, every time I tell someone that they're living in denial, they don't believe me. For some reason, every time I tell someone they're living in denial, they don't believe me. Yeah, there, they find, you finally got it. Somehow, for some reason, all of us live in denial. We all live in this, this world where we don't want to acknowledge that we could possibly be deceived. We don't want to acknowledge that for some reason we might have put our hope in something false or something frail. And so some of us respond, a lot of us respond, to a lack of hope by living in a state of denial. We don't call it denial. Our friends call it denial, but we don't. We call it optimism. In fact, sometimes we cover it with a spiritual kind of optimism that we label hope. You see, as Christians, we don't like to think of ourselves as people who have a bad view of the present or the future because that doesn't sound like hope. Last night I was thinking about the new governmental requirements issued by our governor on Friday and I was thinking about the time frame of reopening our church to Sunday worship and I had this thought, well listen, the Bible promises that God is going to protect his people and if we really trusted God, we could open the church right now and just go ahead and do the thing that uh, we want to do. And then immediately, I remembered this story about a man in a flood who prayed and asked for God to protect him during the flood. And the car came to his house and said, hey, we're all evacuating. Come with us. Let's get out of here. And the man said, oh, no, God's going to take care of me. And the storm came and the floodwaters rose. And then a boat sailed up next to his house. And the man said, oh, no, you don't have to rescue me. God is going to save me. And then the man climbed up onto his roof because that was the only place the waters hadn't reached. And a helicopter flew in and dropped a ladder. And the man said, no, I'm fine. God is going to take care of me. And then the man drowns. And he makes his way up to heaven. And he says to God, God, what in the world? How did you let me down so much? And God says, what are you talking about? I gave you a notification the flood was coming. And then I sent a car. And then I sent a boat. And then I sent a helicopter. And you didn't, attack, didn't take any of them. God says, listen, I'm saving you in all kinds of ways. And you only want salvation in one particular way. Too often I think Christians especially embrace an ignorant, optimistic, irrational kind of hope. They label it hope when really all it is, is imagining what I want and pretending that that's what God wants. And all of us are guilty of it. 
You see, we get bad or scary news and we look for all the theories and all the voices that tell us it isn't as bad as all that because we imagine if God were really on our side, then he would want only good things to happen to us and therefore this bad thing that's coming my way isn't going to affect me. It's not going to touch me. I'm immune. And for many Christians, we end up living in a state of denial. But we don't call it denial, we call it optimism. And we don't even call it optimism, we just call it hope. God is going to take care of us. But there's something about us that we would rather believe a false hope than to face sober reality. I think the belief in a false hope is proof that we have lacked a real hope. You see, false hope always disappoints us, but it is in fact what we have become accustomed to. We've been disappointed by things too many times. Too many times we've put our hope in something and it has failed us. And so as a result, we begin to believe that all hopes are false. I want to take you to a place in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to start by reading it from the New Living Translation. It says this, This hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. (laughs) This hope does not lead to disappointment. Disappointment? What are you talking about? Hope always leads to disappointment. Almost always, at least. The hope that I've experienced in my life has almost always led to disappointment. I've been disappointed by so many false hopes, and so have you. And so we conclude that maybe all hopes are false. So here's the question. What is Paul talking about in Romans 5, 5? There are two hopes I want to show you today. Two kinds of hope that will never ever disappoint us. I want to take you to there, to the context. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. First of all, I need to explain those opening lines. Just to summarize it, Paul is saying, listen, we have been made right with God because of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus gives us forgiveness of sins. Because we have forgiveness of sins, we have been justified. We have been made right. We have been made just before God because of Jesus. His faithfulness has brought us into this grace. And we just accept it by faith. God has made us people who have been forgiven, who've been cleansed, and we boast, or we celebrate, or we proclaim, or we praise, or we rejoice. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. This is the first hope he talks about. Now, I went to a leadership conference not too long ago. And the very first time I went to this leadership conference, I've actually been there nine times. Um, The first time I went to this leadership conference, I was sitting there in my seat, just hanging out because I was all by myself. No one was with me. And we had this break time. And at the end of the break time, I'm just kind of hanging out there in the seat. And before the break time was over, there was a skit. Like some professional actors got up on stage and they did this skit thing. And it was hilarious. I loved it. 
And so the next break time came and I went and I took my break, but I came back early because they always did something before the next official start time began. One day I was there and I came back early just in time to see a dude play a musical instrument that was built out of the entire auditorium. There were strings running from the front of the auditorium on stage all the way to the top of the balcony, and he was playing on these strings. It was amazing. There was one time when a comedian came out and just was absolutely hilarious, and I went back multiple times because they promised he would be back, and there was one time when Randy Travis himself stood up on stage and performed a song he had just written that no one had ever heard before. And I remember most conferences I wander in late to, but at this conference, I make sure I am there early after every break because I don't want to miss the glorious thing that's about to happen. And here's my point that the hope of something glorious can definitely encourage me to endure inconvenience. I don't care what inconvenience I have to endure. The hope of something glorious can help me endure it. Maybe you've been to an amusement park. Maybe not recently, but you've been there before. And you know that some roller coasters require you to wait in line for two, maybe three hours. And I will do it. I will wait in line for three hours for the hope of something glorious to experience that roller coaster. I'll go through any kind of inconvenience for the hope of something glorious. God is going to be glorified. And that is a hope we can rest in. The question is, what will that hope lead you to do? But let's move on. I want to take you to chapter 5, verse 3. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is the promise we have that if we go through this kind of endurance, the end result is hope. This is a hope that's personal. This is a hope that's incremental. This is a hope that's inconvenient. This is a hope that we have to wade through other things to get to. But what is this hope? What is this hope? Paul says we can trust it. Paul says this is a hope that doesn't disappoint. Let's go back there to verse 5. And I want to show you this hope, what it is, and why we can trust it. It says, hope does not put us to shame. We can trust this, he claims. But why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, keep going, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Friends, we have four things to pay attention to in this passage. Three reasons to trust this hope and one bit of information on what this hope actually is. First, 
God loves you, and His love proves that you can trust this hope. Number two, God has given you His Spirit. You might not be able to feel His Spirit, but God's Spirit is with you all the time. And sometimes you've been aware of it, and sometimes you haven't. Sometimes you have known God to be moving in your heart, and sometimes you haven't known it. But the fact that He has moved in your life, the fact that He has given His Spirit to you, is more proof this hope is trustworthy. And thirdly, Christ's sacrifice proves this hope. You are a person who needed God to forgive you. And Christ's sacrifice on the cross made forgiveness possible. And His love for you, His presence in your life, and His sacrifice for you proves this hope is trustworthy. And what is the hope? Once again, verse 9. We have been justified by His blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? This hope is our eventual salvation. Listen, we have two hopes in this passage that will definitely not disappoint us. Hope number one is God's glory. He is going to be glorified. And for the sake of something glorious, I'm willing to go through something hard. But number two, the other hope we have is our own salvation. You and I will be saved. Listen, one of these days, we're going to stand before God and we're going to see Him in all His glory. And we will say to Him in that moment in time, Wow, it was worth it. God, your glory is so far beyond anything I could imagine. Your glory is so far above anything I've ever experienced. Your glory is so far beyond anything this world had ever given to me. God, your glory is worth it. All the inconvenience, all the hardship, all the frustration, everything has been worth it. Because God, your glory is really that great. But in that moment, we'll also realize that we have been saved. And we'll say, God, thank you for doing in my life what I didn't think possible. God, thank you for doing in my life what needed to be done. God, thank you for making a way when I didn't think there was a way. God, thank you for moving in my life through character, perseverance, patience to bring me to a place where my hope did not disappoint. Friends, here's the truth. You might be in a place right now where you feel like you have lost your hope. You might even be on the borderline of using that word despair to refer to your own circumstances. You might have all the symptoms of a lost hope. But here's the truth. There is one hope that will never disappoint you. And it is the hope of God's glory with your salvation. The joint hope that God will be glorified. And when he is glorified, you will be standing next to him in the shadow of his glory as a person who has been saved by His grace in combination with the faithfulness of Christ and your own faith. You can rest assured in this hope 
Do not allow this hope to fade. It will not disappoint because God is the one who makes a way. God, the glorious, is the one who makes the way, even in the darkness. You are 
working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. encourage you with a passage of scripture from Isaiah 26 verses 3 and 4. It says, in a prayer to God, it says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Our hope is in the rock eternal. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. I encourage you to join me immediately after this in our time of Zoom YouTube communion. We're going to share communion with each other. Today is our Gratitude Sunday. And so wherever you are, I pray that you would be in a place of gratitude to God for all the amazing blessings he's given to you. Even in this society where we feel like we have been inconvenienced terribly, by forces outside of our control. We have also been blessed incredibly by forces outside our control. Our God is the source of all of our blessings, and he likewise can be the source of our hope and our endurance through times of inconvenience. Be a person of gratitude today. Bring to God some thanks. Join us in communion. If you have a financial offering to give to the church, you can do it electronically on the links that we've shared. And let me encourage you to be a person who says, God, my hope is completely in you today. Let me pray for you. Lord, would you guide us this week to be people who put our hope in you, not in any sort of false hope, but in the one certain hope of you and your ultimate glory the God who will bring about salvation to his people, no matter what happens on this earth. We thank you and we praise you for being a God like that. We ask it all in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Have a great week.